Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Monday. It is January 29th. Charlie here with you. As always, we're going to talk about why the Lions squandered a golden opportunity and that how it only helps the Packers. We're going to also get into Marquette growing up before our own eyes. We're going to do the tap list of the Milwaukee Bucks weekend. Some good, some bad. Uh, and that will be today's show. Uh, but before we get going, social media, tapping the keg on Twitter slash X, uh, tapping the keg sports, Instagram, as well as TikTok and Facebook for that matter. Uh, I am starting up the PSF, Pro Sports Fans. Uh, we'll be doing some live streams uh, for the Marquette games. I think I'm going to be doing Marquette Villanova on Tuesday. So if you are a Marquette fan or if you just want to hang out, uh, watch the game. I think the game's at 6. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be doing that. I'm really excited for it. Um, be a new adventure uh, for me. Uh, but yeah, I'm really fired up for it. So that's PSF. You can download it, Apple, uh, Android. Uh, and yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll be doing the live stream on, on Tuesday. But I will confirm that for you guys on uh, Monday's show or Tuesday's show, excuse me. Uh, speaking of shows, uh, we do this four days a week. If you are new to the program, uh, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed. Um, if you are subscribed, drop this in the group chat. Uh, for those that care about the schedule, uh, we will be doing pods today, tomorrow, and then Wednesday, since we have a lot of basketball. And I'm not going to do a pod after uh, Bucks Blazers. I know uh, usually I like to do it after every game, but since it's the Trailblazers, I know it's Dame's return. Trailblazers not exactly a great team. And on top of the fact that I'll be doing, I think Mitch and I will be doing Friday again. So I, I think that it's fine. Um, obviously, like last weekend, uh, if, or last week, if there's a big story that breaks, Packers hire their defensive coordinator, uh, we'll have an extra podcast. Uh, that's what we do for you. Uh, we're always there to be in the moment. We'd rather be in the moment than not in the moment. Uh, and, and then uh, just a heads up early, uh, I will be out of the country uh, at the end of February. So I'm going to be gone for two weeks. We're not going to, we're, we're going to have some podcasts. I promise you I'm figuring that out. We'll get some things going. We'll have a few shows um, because I don't want to leave you guys high and dry. Uh, we'll at least have like, I'm hoping five shows. That's kind of my hope is that you'll have at least like five shows. I'll spread them out. Um, they'll all be evergreen. So I'll be stuff that you can listen to really at all times. And then we'll be back at it uh, Monday the 3rd uh, will be the first podcast uh, from me after uh, post-Portugal and Netherlands. So just a heads up, early heads up on that. And if you have any recs, uh, feel free, drop them in, uh, send DMs uh, to Twitter or Instagram. Would it be appreciated? All right, let's get into the Detroit Lions and why they missed an opportunity tonight against the San Francisco 49ers. The Detroit Lions are out. The Detroit Lions are eliminated. The Detroit Lions started out absolutely pummeling the San Francisco 49ers. They were 24 to 7 at halftime. Uh, they were in full control of the game. Uh, people were getting ready for the start of the year with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Detroit Lions and the end of the year with the Detroit Lions and the Kansas City Chiefs and this bookend thing. The script writers were, you know, furiously jotting down, you know, the hot, perfect way to sort of start and finish the season. But that wasn't meant to be. Uh, the 49ers got out, got a field goal. They kind of reestablished some things early in that first drive. And then Dan Campbell has a chance to kick a field goal and put the Lions back up by 17, and Campbell decided not to do it. 
Um, there is going to be debate about it all all day. That's going to be what everybody wants to talk about. Uh, I think Dan Campbell was an idiot for it. Um, I've said for a while that Dan Campbell's machismo is a little too much. Um, and he kind of sometimes has the monkeys with the symbols going on in his head and he's not really thinking. And he was he just pressed all the buttons and was like, let's go, let's keep going. And I realized the the play call wasn't bad. Josh Reynolds drops the ball. But that at that point, you had to try to kick the field goal and try to add points. I understand Michael Badgley is not the best kicker in the world, but there has to be a balance of going and not going. Even the fact that the, the Lions tried to run the ball in the last point of the game and not at least get the seven, not get the three, and go for a fourth down. I realize they made it, but that was just such a bad decision. Like running the football, it had to be a perfect fucking play. And they were sitting on it. They were absolutely sitting on it. They being the San Francisco 49ers. And there's just so many bad decisions here or there where the Lions probably should be in the Super Bowl. And I think there are some people who think, well, maybe the Green Bay Packers should be in the Super Bowl. I want to talk about that, but I, I, I kind of want to stay on the on the Lions a little bit here. Like it, it just was a very it could have been a great day in the city of Detroit. Could have been their first Super Bowl. It seemed like it was it was trending in that direction. And then it just kind of all fell apart. And, you know, the playoff, the the face mask with Ayuk making this incredible catch. And then immediately Jameer Gibbs fumbles right after it. It was this one-two punch of just like it, it all kind of came collapsing down. And that's, that's football, but that's also why you take advantage of opportunities that matter. And it, it just seemed like the Lions, it got too big for them. And weirdly, the Packers and Lions are similar bedfellows in that, where it was this, you know, the whole feeling of, oh my God, I'm not supposed to be here. What am I doing here? Why am I, why am I here? Uh, and it was, you know, it's rough and it's a rough feeling. And I texted my sister-in-law's boyfriend, who's a Lions fan, who texted me at halftime, kind of like, I couldn't imagine this going any better. And I texted him after the game and I, I didn't talk shit to him in the entire second half. You know, I've been through this. I've seen these collapses, 2014 uh, to be specific. Uh, you know, we've seen other ones that have ended very poorly. And I just texted him saying, these suck. Like these are, these stay with you for a while. You think about, you'll think, Lions fans will think about that helmet catch really probably for the next six months until football starts again. They're going to play, they're going to see it. You know, it, it's going to be one of the key highlights of the NFL year. Um, they're going to think about Dan Campbell going for it or not going for it. This weird position, I think Lions fans are probably in with their coach who they all love, right? They've all, they all are Dan Campbell guys. And now they, they kind of, they at least has to make you wonder a little bit. I saw some people were like, I'd fire Dan Campbell and just throw a bag at Ben Johnson and have Ben Johnson stay here. I think that's a little excessive. I think Dan Ca Campbell has built a culture and I don't think you can you can basically change that. But I also think you need to work with Dan Campbell on situational stuff and say like, hey, look, at some point, you you know, you can't, until you win a couple, like you, you, gotta, you gotta have, like there's a time and place for all of that. And so it, it's it's so interesting that Campbell has this ultra aggressive thing in his first NFC Championship game. Malifar in his second NFC Championship game was too conservative. 
went for the field goal down eight points instead of trying to get the touchdown on fourth and 11 and he was ridiculed for it as well so i think it's part of being a you know a new kid on the block if you will but i also don't know if i'm that frustrated that the packers aren't there and that i'm not i don't think i'm sitting here saying the packers should be in the, the super bowl because like here's the thing Couple, there's a lot of things on this. Uh, I could have done an entire segment on this because, like, I think we're all we all think we would beat the Lions because we beat the Lions in Thanksgiving. I think they're a different Lions team. I think this Lions team is was better. I think they were pretty well connected. I think the crowd at Ford Field was absolute pandemonium. I think had they hosted the championship game, I think it would have been louder than what they had, the Packers had dealt with in Levi Stadium, what they had dealt with at AT&T Stadium. I realize the Packers have been excellent on turf. I realize that they they are a turf team, weirdly enough. But I, I also am like, I just, I don't know if that, like, that would have been enough, right? I, I think that the, the way that they were playing at home, I, I am not confident that it would have resulted in a Packers win. I think it would have been last team with the ball wins this game and it's gonna and it was how i thought the cowboys game would go and the packers being there though with the chiefs a second time spagnola another look at him i I don't again i don't know do you want to lose a super bowl like that's that's just such a weird thing right and i think that as fans you always and the kids always say cope like oh that's copium and what is copium is like the idea that, oh, if we would have been there, we, we would have won and, and everything like that. But no one knows. Just like I, I ever, I love how everyone's like, oh, we would have won the 2022 title if Chris Middleton got hurt. Well, we had, we had to play the Miami Heat, who took the Boston Celtics seven games. And the Miami Heat had been a thorn in our side. Yes, we swept them in 2021, but that proved to be absolutely meaningless in 2023. And who knows, right? We would maybe we lose again in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Miami Heat, and yeah, then your antennas are up maybe more in that 2023 series. But I, there's no guarantee on that, and so I think that we as fans want to believe that oh yeah, we had the best team even when we didn't, even though we didn't win it. But I just I can't I can't entirely buy into that, especially with a coordinator that was sort of on his last legs. Um, just. I don't think that that was that that was really rooted in fact. Um, I just I think the Lions are pretty pretty strong. Um, you know I I think that they they were a good team, but kind of now the runs over and that's where I you know the open about golden opportunities like they who knows right who knows if this will come again because you have the Packers nipping at the heels no pun intended like the Packers are right there. Packers are ready to be sort of the NFC North leader. We, Mitch and I talked about it on yes on the show we did on Friday about like how will the betting odds look, right? Who's going to be favored to win the NFC North? Is it going to be basically even? It's going to be like the Packers plus 180, the Lions plus 180. Uh, will the Bears getting Caleb Williams influence the Lions at all? We'll have to see. But it, it, it's a just a bad miss by Detroit because they really do not have this long window. Uh, they have to decide if they want to give Jared Goff an extension. And I know Jared Goff has looked good 
under Ben Johnson, but that's the thing, under Ben Johnson. And I know that the Jared Goff supporters are like, hey, he, he doesn't need qualifiers. He's been a good quarterback this season. I understand that. But we've seen Jared Goff without a top-tier offensive genius, and it hasn't gone well. So you have to make sure that next guy can play to Jared Goff's strengths if you're going to give Jared Goff that much money, but that tightens up everything else around you. Like, if I were the Lions, I would try to make it so Jared Goff doesn't get that big of a deal. Maybe it's a Kirk Cousins-like deal that he got in Minnesota, like three years, $96 million, everything's guaranteed. Maybe it's a little more with the way that quarterback salaries have gone and everything like that. But I try to figure out ways around maybe, or it's like two and maybe a, a non-guarantee the last year. They've had Hendon Hooker, you know, ready to go kind of on that bench. I don't think Hendon Hooker's ready to take over a team that was just in the NFC Championship game. I'm not saying that or inferring that, but I, I just think they have to be careful. So that's where you talk about this window of the Lions. And you're like, you have all of that going on. And then you have this young Packers team that is hungry, that will have a new defensive coordinator that is ready to sort of ascend and be one of the top teams in the NFL. And so, and really, I don't think it would be a surprise if we're talking about a Packer championship, championship weekend appearance or even a Super Bowl appearance for the Green Bay Packers next season. That is not out of the realm of possibilities. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities for the Detroit Lions, but it's going to be a lot harder. Their schedule is going to be tougher. The Packers-Lions games are going to be cinema. I mean, they're going to be both primetime games. They're both going to be battles. Those games, but the Lions, it's going to get harder because they're playing the schedule of a team that won their division. And that always makes things hard. And that's why you see teams regress a little bit in terms of the year after. Like the Lions at home will play, obviously, their division rivals, but they'll also play the Rams at home, the Seahawks at home, Jacksonville, Tennessee, Tampa, and Buffalo. Buffalo, you'll have like, that'll be a split split crowd there, but then they go on the road and they'll go to Arizona, Houston, Indianapolis, San Francisco, and Dallas. San Francisco, Dallas, obviously very tough, uh, but it's a little easier because of the the fact that you do get the Rams at home, which is helpful. You get Seattle at home, which is helpful. Um, and, but Arizona, maybe they step up. Maybe they're a little bit better. Um, you know, obviously, Houston. What's interesting about the Lions schedule and maybe more for the quote-unquote page here golf is you're really only going to have to be outside in Green Bay and Chicago. Um, and, well, in San Francisco. But those are a lot of dome teams for Jared Goff next year. So I... Even though the schedule does get tougher for the Lions, I don't think it's as tough as maybe I perceived it, but it's even easier for Green Bay. Like Green Bay will have a schedule that is pretty advantageous to them. And they they do have tough opponents, but it's it's going to be the Packers and Lions the entire way through. And it's not just the Lions ruling the roost. Like this isn't how the Packers felt after last week where it's like, yeah, we had the January heartbreak but we know that what's on the horizon is great. And I understand there were some Packer fans being like, don't take these for granted, you never know what happens, but we went over it. We're like, it's gonna be a 10 year window. For the Lions right now, for some of their players, it's a 10 year window. For Laporta, for Gibbs, maybe not 10 for Gibbs, but 
for, you know, Jack Campbell, the young linebacker, Brian Branch. Like, those guys are going to have long careers with the Lions, Panay Sewell for that matter. Uh, but, like, again, your quarterback is not young. And so it's like, what do you do there? Do they draft, like, a J.J. McCarthy in the first round, right? Like, you could obviously sell that. J.J., you know, spends a year under Goff or two years under Goff. And you basically Jordan Love the, the, the thing. And, and that would not be a bad idea by the Detroit Lions. And they are a savvy organization. Um, they are a really good organization. Um, and so I expect the Lions to be our biggest rival in the next five years. I think that to me is the rival that is a team that the Packers are going to compete with every year out. I, I know the Vikings and Bears run deeper, but I do not think those are those are going to be rivalries as big as what the Packers and Lions are going to be for the next five years. I think it's going to be nasty. I think it's going to be intense. I don't think Campbell and LaFleur like each other. And I just think it's going to be a fight to death. But having it, death's a little strong. But like, you get my point. Like, I, I think it's going to be a really intense rivalry. And Jordan Love is is the better quarterback of the two. He just is. And so that to me is you know, enough to get me by. And I know the Packers have a ton of talent and I know they, they're, you know, kryptonite kind of for the Lions. Even with this loud crowd, the Packers are great on turf. So that will, that will make things difficult. But yes, it's, a, it's definitely a one where the Lions are going to wonder where it all went wrong in that second half. And it, those Super Bowls suck. I will be honest with you. Like I... Remember a bit, uh, I, I will say the Seattle New England game. I remember where I was watching that game, but I don't really remember much of that game. I, I'll be honest, I was pretty disconnected because after what happened in Seattle the week before, I, I didn't really want to watch. You watch because it's the Super Bowl, right? You just, you, you do. It's the last football game of the year. You, even if you don't care that much about the rivalry, you are the matchup, you still want to watch, right? But I, it's hard. It's hard to really get that jazzed up for it because you know you should be there and you know that you missed out on this opportunity. And I think for the Lions, because it hasn't happened since 1992 or 1991, they were in the, the championship round. They now are like, well, is it now going to be another 30 years or are they going to be more consistent? And if they take a step back, what does that do for Dan Campbell? What does that do for the structure of the organization? What if they don't pick a good coordinator and it's kind of like a Sirianni thing? Like, it, it just shows you like how quick things can change in the NFL. And especially when you have a Packer team lurking that has always been Big Brother and that looks like Big Brother's ready to establish himself yet again. It, it doesn't spell good opportunity for this Detroit Lions football team. So yes, the Lions should be probably in the Super Bowl, uh, but they're not because their coach brain kind of malfunctioned plus the Lions did as well. And now it'll just be a Packer-Lion rivalry that will get bigger and bigger as the years go on. Moving on to basketball, uh, I decided to start with Marquette versus the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, no real reason. I think the only one is for... My Marquette people, uh, I feel like I've been putting Marquette as the third option. And I, I want to do him justice. Like I want to talk about it first. Um, and I, I don't know if Marquette matters more than the Bucks this week, uh, but we're going we're gonna to roll with it. And I really liked this win for Marquette. Uh, this was a great win. Uh, they win 75 to 57 over Seton Hall. 
uh, was just a dominating second half performance by Marquette. But the big takeaway before we get into the grades was Marquette is growing up before our very eyes. Now, you could ask yourself, well, Charlie, they are a veteran-laden team. How could they be growing up? Well, a lot of these guys had to take step forwards. And it was partly due to the injury, partly due to replacing Omax Prosper, partly due to just you know needing these guys to advance so that it's not so reliant on Oso Gadara, Cam Jones, and Tyler Kolick. And we saw it through our very eyes tonight. Uh, Cam Jones... It played for five minutes because of an injury. Uh, Tyler Kolick only scored two points or four points in this game. But guys were growing up before our very eyes. Uh, Stevie Mitchell has uh, really kind of come on strong. Uh, Paint Touches wrote an article uh, yesterday about how he's becoming more than a glue guy. I absolutely agree. I think Stevie Mitchell is a value contributor on both sides of the ball. He's a great two-way player right now for Marquette and has his shot has gotten better. He's he's developing, you know, more of an arc. David Joplin, who also had a really good game, is playing on defense. He's defending much better and he's making smarter decisions defensively. He's also not sort of Bobby Portisine it and that every time he gets the ball, it's going up. Like he's thinking about making the pass. He's thinking about, you know, making the right decision and he's not afraid of contact, which I don't know if, know if Jop was afraid of contact, but he was so reliant on just being a three-point shooter and he's becoming more than that. And so again, you're seeing the development and Ben Gould on both sides of the ball. This was the first game that Ben Gould really played well defensively against a big bully team and a team that is not DePaul, but not Georgetown. Like Ben Gould always looks good against the bad teams, but for once, Ben Gould actually looks good against a good team. So all of a sudden, Marquette, when you include Kolek, Iguodaro, and Jones, plus with the development of all of these guys, that makes Marquette really scary. And that makes Marquette the Marquette that I think we all thought that was possible back in November. And then, you know, it, it, they hit a little bit of a rough transitional patch. And whether it was because of the Ross and Jones injuries, because it was the schedule, because it was just Shaka Smart, you know, learning that he had to do things a little bit differently with this team and that it wasn't the same, t even though he had like 87% of the roster back, it's still a different team. It's still a different mindset. Guys are thinking and di thinking things differently. You know, they had the Chick-fil-A sort of basically regroup and they kind of talk things out. And I think Tyler Kulik had a comment where he's like, I have to be that motherfucker again. And that was sort of a revelation. But I also think the other guys on the court knew they had to do more and that they, they needed to get more out of it. And they were finally starting to see that come through. And it's just a really, really good sign for Marquette going forward. Now, are they gonna hit rough patches again? Yeah, sure, right? These are still a lot of young guys, but the future is bright for Marquette. And having next year be Stevie Mitchell, Kolek, you know, and Iguodara out, Cam Jones, maybe, um, Joplin, Ben Gould, Zade Lowry, I think Trey Norman, has some potential, I think Al Amadou, but you just see how this development cycle just keeps sort of going. And that's the impressive thing about Marquette and why they are kind of built for sustainability, built for sort of just long-term success 
than being just a plug-and-play transfer portal team, like Arkansas, for example. Great example of that. Like Arkansas was a, what, they finished, they were an eight seed. Now, they got to the Sweet 16. They pulled off an upset against Kansas, and they had a ton of talent on that basketball team. But it, it took a while for them to mesh. And now you have the same situation, yet it's even worse, and yet you're probably not going to make the tournament. Like it's, they have to go on a really good run here in February to make a case for the committee. They're gonna probably have to win the SEC tournament. So, and everybody does it differently, but you can see why a team like Marquette has been able to sort of have this success and continues to have this success. I do think that they should probably look at the portal a little bit next year for depth purposes. But I also am like, look, if that's the way Shaka wants to do it, do it until you can't. And, you know, I think we saw with Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, right? I mean, for a little bit there, it was fine. And then this year it all went to shit. And guess what? Dabo started to get transfer guys. They started to invest a little more in NIL stuff. And now Marquette does okay NIL wise. But the, the long and short of it is, is these guys are growing up. And this is where now you're looking at Marquette starting to kind of make an ascent. And they have an opportunity with their schedule in front of them that they can be right there with UConn. And it could potentially be a top five matchup when it's all said and done in a few weeks in, I don't know if it's in Gamble or the Axel Center on uh, Saturday afternoon. Uh, that That's on the table right now. And so I, I think that you know, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Um, obviously, you know, you could have a bad loss on the road here uh, or you lose National Marquette Day, heaven forbid, against the St. John's team that's going to want revenge. But it's just, it's really shaping up well here for the Golden Eagles. Um, and I hope that it's a sign of things to come. And it's not just a slight blip on the radar. As for grades, we've went back to this. We were, we were doing it for a little while and then... Uh, shows were getting too long. I couldn't do them. Now, now I'm back, uh, and we're we're giving out grades from the game. Uh, an A to Oso Iguodaro. So I know Oso was 10 and 19 from the floor, right? And he had 21 points. But Oso Iguodaro's passing, Oso Iguodaro running point guard, is fucking incredible. Dude had 21 points. He had seven rebounds. He had four assists, and he's running point as a 6'11 center. He, it's a point forward or a point center, and point also is awesome. Uh, I don't know how many of you listen who aren't Marquette fans or if you guys skip over this, but if you are one of those who is not a Marquette fan, I recommend watching on Tuesday night. Watch Oso Iguodara take, it, take the ball and just run with it. He is so impressive to watch as that point guard. Like he, it, it just, his vision is unparalleled. And so it's like watching Draymond Green in college. I realize... Draymond, you know, might have been a, a touch better, but I don't know, actually, no, fuck that. I, I don't think that's true. Like, I think we all just have visions of Draymond. He was at Michigan State for fucking ever, and he was a solid player at Michigan State, but I, I don't know. I, I have to look back at it. I, I, should, I shouldn't say either player was better, but the point remains, like, it's like watching sort of the dancing bear, as Draymond was called that in college, you know, play again because, and it's funny because I've called Oso the desert bear, it's like he just, he goes to work, man. And it, it's really a great new wrinkle for Marquette. And it's really fucking hard to defend. I don't know if any team really has the bodies 
to defend that. Like Dixon for Villanova is a pretty solid big man, but he's kind of slow. Soriano is pretty slow as a big man. Uh, Klingon, uh, the kid from UConn, he's also slow. So it's like, how are those guys going to deal with Oso Yadara out in the perimeter running point? I would love to see Kalkbrenner do the same thing. Like, Oso is just playing great basketball right now. And if he's not the player of the week, it's a fucking shame. And people aren't paying attention to what he's doing and what he's bringing every night out. And I saw a moment uh, from my seats, I'm, I'm in the 200 levels, but I saw a moment, at, at, I think it was Marquette was down 14 to seven. And it, they they were down what that, it was 13 minutes you know, into the first half. It might not have been the 14 seven moment, but they, they got off to a pretty slow start. And I could see Shaka laying into Oso Yadar. And like, he wasn't like yelling at him, like kind of like Bobby Huggins or Bobby Knight. Uh, Bobby Huggins, Bob Huggins or Bobby Knight. Like, it wasn't that intense, but you could tell that he was pretty stern about what he was saying. And it, it, it must have, the light must have went on for him. And I've just, I, the Oso season has been great. Uh, your boy might have predicted that Oso would be Biggie's player of the year. I don't think that's going to happen, but that was that was a prediction I had. Just want to just want to call that back out. Uh, another A to Stevie Mitchell. We talked a little bit about Stevie Mitchell just growing up. Uh, his performance was great. Thirteen points, uh, six rebounds, uh, five steals. Uh, he had more steals. No, it ended up not happening. For a while, he had more steals than all of Seton Hall, but Seton Hall ended up getting six steals. So that's unfortunate, but. Stevie's been great. Uh, he's just had such a great run here since you know the injuries to Chase Ross and, Cam- and Sean Jones. And I think what it really did was it unlocked sort of Stevie's potential. Like you hate to say that, but just what he's been doing the last sort of really five, the four games in the winning streak, but even before that, like Stevie's had at least nine points uh, in every game here in January. Uh, he's been a very efficient two-point shooter. I think it's like 62% inside the arc. Yeah, he's 62% right now inside the arc. He's still not a great three-point shooter, but I think the shots, the shot looks better for him. So I, you know, and he's one of the best steal guys in the in college basketball. He ranks 17th in his steal percentage. So like, I think Stevie's having an incredible year. Uh, I think it's been really good for him. He's sort of had probably one of the best Januaries, if not for Iguodara. And yeah, I, I've loved what I've seen from Stevie Mitchell and he continues to bring things all together. Uh, the second half defense was sweltering for Marquette. This game was, it was like 30 to 29. I think the, the Golden Eagles had led at halftime. And then they absolutely shut down Seton Hall. Seton Hall only scores 28 points in the second half. um, And they just, they couldn't do anything. Uh, Marquette was just complete lockdown defender. And that's, you know, what you've seen from Marquette at home. They seem like in that second half, they really tightened the screws. They did it against Creighton. They did it against Villanova. uh, And they now did it against Seton Hall. And it seems to be kind of a staple of them. They get the adjustments, they know what they need to do, and that defense gets really dug in. And would like to, and we really saw it with St. John's too. I mean, St. John's, they had to come back, but that second half defense was great until it wasn't, until the last five minutes of that game. But I think they had exerted a lot of energy that led to that. But yeah, the second half defense was phenomenal for Marquette um, and really, Really love that. Uh, also, David Joplin, another A. I have a lot of A's today because uh, it was it's a great game. Like David Joplin, twenty points in this one. Uh, he just needs to be at Wintrust, man. 
Uh, three rebounds. Uh, Jop also made three threes. He got, got to the free throw line eight times, which I th- I feel like is really high for Joplin. Uh, but I think the biggest thing with Jop was the defense. He was really busting his ass defensively, made a great deflection and was yelling, firing up the crowd. And then moments later, he gets on a fast break with Kolick and he doesn't stand at the three-point line. He runs with Kolick. Kolick finds him and he lays it up, gets fouled and makes the shot and the place absolutely loses their fucking mind. I mean, it was chaos, pandemonium, uh, and just everybody was just so fired up. And... Joplin just, it, it's, it seems like the, the light switch has kind of come on for him. And we talked about that growth before we went into the grades. I think Joplin, you know, this stretch here has been great for him. I think there was a lot of uncertainty. You know, I had even said, maybe you look at Zade Lowry to start and Joplin off the bench. And, you know, maybe he's just a bench guy, which is okay, right? Manager Nobly, one of the best players in the NBA of, you know, the last 20, 20 years. And, he was a bench guy, and that's okay. Um, but no, James Joplin proved me wrong. Um, it's it's been a nice to watch his development. Also, another A to Ben Gold. Uh, ben Gold was terrific. Uh, you know, he nine point six rebounds. Uh, he was really solid defensively. Um, the threes that Ben Gold makes just it, he he has a really good knack of when to shoot them. Uh, he just knows kind of when to hit the big ones. It is a little Novak-esque in the in the sense that like young Novak, I called him Kiwi Novak on uh, on the X platform uh, on Saturday, and I was like, that's a little much. But I, I honestly like it, when you watch when before Steve Novak became a guy, like Steve Novak was a guy his last year, last couple of years in Marquette. But when Steve Novak was just starting out, that Final Four team in 20, 2003, Novak would have moments where all of a sudden he'd just hit a back-breaking three and it would just, it would make, you know, the other team sort of just like slump their shoulders. Like, oh, Novak hit one from the corner. And I do think there's going to be a game where Gold has like five threes and we're just all like freaking out about Ben Gold. Like, I think this was as close to like the Ben Gold game. I really think this is just, I call it the Ben Gold game, but I think it's more the like the young gun game. Like, it's like all of a sudden it's like the development is here and it's like, okay, Kolick Jones uh, didn't really have it. And guess what? Okay, everybody else can pick up the slack. And that's that's incredible. And I don't know if we could have said that a month ago. And I also think, I think I mentioned with Mitchell, but like Gold Shot has looked better. Like it looks like it has more arc and it's not so flat. It was flat earlier in the year. And now you see this, this beautiful arc on it. And yeah, it's... He's becoming a thing, a guy, and and they they really believe that. Like Ben, I think they think Ben Gold could be like a number one guy when it's all said and done. Which I don't know if I believe that, but they do, and that's that's good enough for me. Uh, B to top. Oh, another A. Last A. The Pfizer atmosphere. I kind of talked about it already, but I think there was just so much about the the Pfizer atmosphere. First of all, crowd was rock, was rocking loud. You know, not necessarily a rival in Seton Hall, yet still sold out uh, for a noon game, you know, in the middle of January. Uh, Grant, the weather was better than it's been, 
but it was a it was a solid crowd. It was not a you know sort of a sleepy crowd at that. Uh, student section obviously fired up, uh, but you add on top of that the Doc Rivers you know comes out. Doc Rivers comes out and he you know talks to the you know kind of just talk about how he's happy to be here. He's, he's happy. He's home. Things like that, and then you add on Jordan Love's there, uh, which was awesome. Uh, Jordan Love then hung out at 7:20 with Shane Gillis, uh, which I was at. Uh, not at 7:20, I was at Shane Gillis's comedy show, which I could give a review at another time. Uh, but then you also had uh, Wes Matthews, Joel Fulce, Jarrell McNeil. Wes Matthews getting inducted into the M Club, like all of this stuff was awesome. Um, and it just, you add that to the, the fired up crowd. Like it's just, I think they put a picture of all these guys and we're like, Marquette's where it, where it needs to be. And, and I think that's a credit to Shaka Smart. We've talked about this in the past, but Shaka Smart just welcomes everybody back that everyone's always welcome. And that goes up on the Jumbotron and it, he has just fostered such a culture that these guys always want to come back and every, every game you have at least one or two guys that are back from from the the, the past. And I think obviously the next one being National Marquette Day, um, Jagabowski's gonna have to go through probably like 20 fucking names, but it's just incredible. So it's night and day from Wojo, man. Night and day, it's it's just sometimes you gotta marvel at it. Uh, B, uh, to Tyler Kolick realizing it's not his night. Uh, Tyler Kolick at some point realized he wasn't scoring and he just started passing the ball. And he was like, could I, could we win this game without me scoring a point? He finally got a bucket at the end. I was watching a game with my guy, John, who I usually watch with. And John and I were joking like, oh, is he not going to get, is he not going to get a bucket? And he just, all he wants to do is pass. He had a sick alley-oop to Oso Iguodara. Uh, he, had a, he had a couple of sick passes to Oso. But Kolek just knew, knew it wasn't his night and knew it just, he it wasn't working for him. And he transitioned to like, all right, I'm pass first today. And I didn't really care. And I wasn't trying to force his shot. He was a little bit in the first half, but again, realized it was his night. And that to me like shows a ton of senior leadership. That shows a ton of humility from Tyler Kulik, honestly, because he, he just, he had a bad game, but you know what? He was like, all right, fuck it. It's fine. I'll, I'll just do other things on the court, make myself better. I know this probably is one that'll help my draft stock, but I, I'd argue it should because it's, it's a guy who realizes his place and realized that tonight was not a Tyler Kolek night. And that's not to say that against Villanova, it's not going to become a Tyler Kolek night. You know what I mean? Or Georgetown for that matter. So I, I, I give Tyler a lot of credit. Uh, he also is a C for me just as the, the player. I think Tyler has to realize that when guys are like bullying him a little bit and just kind of, you know, really sort of physical with him. They doesn't need to kind of exert the physical back to him. He just needs to play his game. I think the way Seton Hall plays, where they play that kind of Miami Heat, Toronto Raptor style, where they just beat the shit out of you and hope nobody calls anything. I don't think that style really helps Kolek. And I think Kolek needs to, they need to figure that out a little bit. I would say they being the coaching staff, when they have those kind of teams, those really physical, I'm thinking like if we run into Tennessee in the, in the, in the postseason or Houston, like those, like that, that type of style does not really work well for Kolek. So how do you make that? Is it off ball? Do you get him some catch and shoot looks? Do you, you know, do you bring him, you know, not necessarily full head of steam, only in transition? Do you get him some more transition buckets? Like that's something that I think they have to figure out a little bit. 
Um, because it's not to say you might not run into that same sort of physical team when it matters the most in in March. And honestly, like I, I Seton Hall is a bitch to play, but I wouldn't mind playing them again in in the Big East tournament because I think that actually would help Kolik. Um, and I know it's it's not like I was like oh I want to play Seton Hall. No, I, it's just I I think that it would really help you know everything there. Uh, also, other grades here uh, that I have, I think I have some Ds. Uh, D to Zade Lowry. Man, Zade Lowry, after that, that hot start, uh, he's looked a little freshman-y uh, these last two games um, and was a, another rough one uh, for Zade. The slow start, also a D. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know why they, they start out so slow. Um, it's been an issue, really. I mean, I, the Butler game was obviously bad. The... Uh, you had the game against Creighton that really wasn't that great. You had this one. Like, I, I don't know what they need to do to get, like, quick buckets. I don't know if they don't want to get into their offense that early and so people can make adjustments. But I just would like them to start a little faster. Uh, they got worked on the offensive glass early in this game. I, I didn't look to see if it sort of ended up that way that they got worked. Yeah, they gave up 12 offensive rebounds. Uh, Seton Hall had a lot of second chance points. That was really the only way Seton Hall was scoring, especially early on in this game. Just got to clean that up. Just got to be better. I mean, that had been an issue for the last few last few week, you know, games, but it's it was one in this one. Uh, also a D to Shaheen Holloway. I, I, it, he could be an F. Maybe let's give an F to Shaheen. I love the story of St. Peter's. That was such a fun tournament experience a couple years ago, but. Shaheen Holloway is a tough, it's tough, man. He complains about every fucking call. And he just like, he just tries so hard to be this tough guy, like to be this Jersey point guard. And it's like, dude, just settle the fuck down, would you? Like, it's just, I don't know. He rubs me the wrong way and it sucks. Like I, I was like, oh, I thought I liked that guy. It's like, nope, nope, don't really like that guy. So uh, Shaheen Holloway, F. Cam Jones, also an F, uh, man. I, that's a really tough injury. I have no idea why Cam Jones played. Um, I was talking to my guy Della about that today and I was like, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it probably was one of those things where Cam Jones told him he was fine and was like, I'm, it's just whatever. I'm going to be okay. Like, yeah, it feels good at shoot around. It's like, nope, doesn't actually feel good at shoot around. I was lying. And man, that's tough. Um, and now you play, the game on Tuesday against Villanova, and I actually probably don't think you should have Cam Jones play. I know that that would be a really tough ask to beat Villanova without Cam Jones, but I, I think that's what you have to do. I think you got to let Cam rest it. You have then Georgetown on Saturday, and you can decide there, and then you get a week off before St. John's. And to me, that would be the route I would go with it. Um, but who knows? Maybe they maybe he's feeling better, getting treatment on it, and can go. But two games uh, in a week is not great for a guy with a bad ankle injury. Uh, other Fs to uh, bully ball allowance early on. Uh, they let Seton Hall do whatever the fuck they wanted. The refs were terrible early. Uh, they, they got a little bit better in the second half, but man, like that to me was, it kind of set the tone and it, it allowed for you know Seton Hall to get out early. I just hate, you know, when that's loud early. I, I, I don't like a ton of whistles, but Seton Hall was pushing off at every mo fucking moment. They were beating up Marquette in the paint and just nothing was called. Uh, lastly, a guy that got to give an F to the beer sample guy. So I was getting my beer before the game 
uh, kind of what I always do because uh, we're right outside of 227 is where we're set. And so we have a, a station and they're usually pretty quick. Uh, usually get a beer hug. Um, I, this is, I've, I think I've talked about beer hugs before and this is very snobby of me, but like Goose Island's beer hugs is probably the best commercial IPA that I think is out there, honestly. Um, like, I just think it's really fucking good. Um, and I, no shame in my game at, at that at all. But anyways, so I usually get that. Usually get a beer hug, get a beer for my wife, the whole thing. And tip off, I think it started, it was right, right as things were kind of getting going. And this motherfucker in front of me, he, A, he was like, oh, I can't get all the beers because, you know, I don't have everybody with me. Then the guy comes, so then he can get four beers. And he's like, well, what's the beer hug? He must have wanted an IPA. It's one of those fucking guys who like, they always need the IPAs. And you're like, Charlie, you're a beer snob. I was like, yeah, but guess what? I can drink a bunch of fucking Billsners. And this guy's like, can I have a sample? Or the, the lady gave him a sample. Like, why are we giving samples? And I'm trying to get to my fucking seats. Like, I don't know. Fuck that guy. That sucked. I, I hated that. That was like, don't. And also that guy, hey, bud, read the room. If you don't know what it is, look it up on your phone. Go get, have yourself a Mick Ultra. Have yourself a Kona Big Wave. Like, why don't you just have another beer and then look up what a beer hug is on fucking your phone at, at a, the, the under 16 and then go get it at either at halftime or at the 10 minute mark. It's ridiculous. Sorry. I had to get that off my chest. That was, and then I was like, <laughs> it's like very aggressive. To like my, but my wife's two husbands or my wife's friends, two husbands where I was like, he like one guy made a comment about like the bucks. He's like, well, the offense can be better. I'm like, well, they're second in efficiency. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And I was like, oh man, I was, I was like, and then I had to tell the guys, I was like, I was a little fired up because of this beer guy. But anyways, uh, that's enough of our cat. Uh, let's wrap up today with the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks had a, I want to say it's even an uneven weekend. They had just a 500 weekend. Uh, they get beat by the Cleveland Cavaliers, 112 to 100. And then they beat the Brakes off the New Orleans Pelicans, 141 to 117. Uh, the Bucks defense came alive. That is really the number one thing on my tap list that's on tap today is defense. Uh, the Bucks had their best three-game stretch of defense with a 110 0.2 defensive rating uh, over 100. Now you're like Charlie, that that's not that good. Well, today for the Bucks this year it's good, and for today's NBA it's good. Uh, and I think there's gonna be a lot of discussion about the NBA. You know, too much scoring that we've now went to the other side of the spectrum. Like it was boring ass basketball 80, in the 80s. Now we're in the 140s and we fucking hate it. And it's like, how do you meet in the middle? And and that's always tough with every sport. It's like what you know, what is that balance, right? So I think the fact that Mark, that uh, the Bucks defense has, has sort of come to life is is a great sign, and I think that's just you know working with schemes that work in the NBA. You know, Joe Prunty's been around for a long time. I would imagine that Prunty got at least word from Doc on what he kind of wanted to see in that game against New Orleans to give him a look of kind of what he's starting. And the, this Bucks team, while Dame is not exactly a great defender, I think his weirdly his being bad at defense is actually overrated like I, I think people talk too much about it and I thought Beasley had done a decent enough job defensively they still need another defender like they still need more defensive wings but I, I do think that they 
that they have, you know, what it takes to play at least competent defense, especially against good matchups. Like they, the matchup against the Pelicans was great. Um, Zion was in absolute hell. Uh, he just could not deal with Giannis and, and Brooke. Like he, they he were just too big for him to kind of get around and work around. And that was just a great, that's just a great matchup for the Bucs. And they took advantage of it. They didn't play with their food at all. They, you know, it was, it was just a really good game not only defensively, but offensively, which we'll talk about here in a second. But I just love what they did defensively. I also love their success on back-to-backs. You know, uh, Celtics fans made all those excuses. Oh, we're on a back-to-back. Oh, we played in overtime. Bucks are 6-1 and one now on back-to-backs this year. I, I think that matters. Like, I, I think that's really important. I realize you could say, oh, it's a small sample size. So it's seven games. Um, and the fact is, is like, in the playoffs, you're going to have tight turnarounds. You're going to play every other night. Maybe not right away, but when it gets down to the conference finals, you're going to play every other night. And you're going to have to not necessarily have a ton of fatigue and make sure that you are ready to go night in, night out. And so I think that that bodes really well for this Bucks team. And I think that that's a huge thing to keep in mind is that they... They show no rest for the weary. And I, I I don't necessarily know why it is that they just, and maybe it's just the veteran, you know, resolve and that they're able to sort of just come out every night and give it. And they've been, yeah, they've played really well on back-to-backs. And I think that's, that's actually a change from Bud too. Like they, there were a lot of, there were a few, I would say a lot. There were a few back-to-backs where the Bucks would just mail it in and, I will say they've mailed in games, but it's not necessarily been the back-to-backs, weirdly enough. Uh, number three on that tap list, Bucks offense firing off cylinders on Saturday. We kind of mentioned it, but yeah, 141 points. Uh, they were really good in that third quarter. Uh, they outscored the Pelicans by 13, and that was kind of that was kind of the game. Uh, they had outscored them in the second quarter by eight, but it was only, it was like 75 to 63 at half. And then, then at that point, the Bucks really sort of enforced their will and leaned on, on that Pelican team. But yeah, there were great stat lines across the board. Uh, Giannis, 30 points on 16 shots, had 12 boards. Uh, Brooke had 24. He made five threes uh, in the game. You had Dame who had 26 points on 14 shots, uh, made a lot at the free throw line. Bobby Portis had 20 off the bench with seven rebounds. Uh, campaign 11 points uh, was really solid stuff, you know, from all the guys. Got a lot of Andre Jackson Jr. minutes who had uh, three three points in, in this one, not necessarily a ton, but that that's all good. The only guy that really didn't play well is Malik Beasley, who was one of seven from three on three attempt shooting. That was the only guy who did not necessarily have a quote unquote good game. And I just, I love what we saw offensively from that team. And just, it was, you know, a little bit of everything, right? Like shot 51% from the field, shot, made 23s, got to the line, you know, what, 25 times. Like it was just a balanced attack. Like it was not one guy or two guys taking over. It was everybody. And again, I I feel like we have not seen a lot of those like complete bucks wins. Um, So that was really good. Friday, Friday night was not good. Uh, they score 100 points, one of their lowest scoring outputs of the season. Uh, they really fell apart in the second half. They just could not hit a bucket. Uh, it was pretty ugly uh, for the Bucs. Uh, and the Cavs sort of, you know, they they definitely wanted to kind of send a message right back to Milwaukee. Uh, Donovan Mitchell 
and Jared Allen both had big games. Uh, Mitchell with 32, Jared Allen with 24. Uh, but they were they were great defensively against the Bucks, and yeah, the Bucks really couldn't do much. Uh, it was a rough game for Brook Lopez. It was a rough game for Dame, and it was a rough game for Chris Middleton. Uh, and all three guys were really really tough. And I know there's this conversation about Chris Middleton. It's like, oh, the Bucks scored 41, 141 without Chris Middleton. And, and we always have to do this ever-shifting narrative on Chris Middleton. But like Chris Middleton has had a really good month. It's been a really good month for Chris Middleton. And I, not to call you casual if you feel like the Bucks are better without Chris Middleton, but you, you got to watch more basketball if that's, if that's your opinion. Because the Bucks, yeah, might be a little more free-flowing, might be a little more up-tempo without Middleton. But Middleton matters, and Middleton ha- is a guy who can hit shots when the Bucks need a bucket, and he's you know played the role of that second guy a couple times when Dame has doesn't have it. So I, I don't want to hear any Middleton slander. Middleton's been pretty good this year, and I I feel like if I were to get I personally, and maybe this is a discussion mission I can have. I personally would say Middleton's had a I don't know if I'd say a better year than Dame. I was gonna say that, and then I I recant it like immediately. I think he's had a solid year. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing if he can kind of have even a better second half, which I, I personally think he can. Uh, also, number four, five, the Bobby Portis conundrum. So here's the thing. So Bobby scored 20 points, but his plus minus was plus two, meaning that the Bucks did not necessarily do well defensively when Bobby was out there. Uh, and it, the frustrate, and he fouled out. Uh, he only played 22 minutes. Um he, yeah, it was not exactly a, even though he scored 20 points, it wasn't exactly a quote unquote great Bobby game. And a lot of Bucks fans are seeing Bobby Portis as this key trade piece. But then you have Giannis Antetokounmpo posting a picture of him and Bobby and saying, Big Bob. Uh, and, and, you know, and then this sort of conflict of like, they are really going to keep Bobby Portis. And they really think that Bobby Portis is, key to what the Bucks are doing. And I just wonder, you know, with, with Doc Rivers there, will Bobby Portis revert back to the guy we saw with Bud and sort of not necessarily be the black hole? And will Doc not allow that? I, I personally am hopeful he will. I mean, I think this next week plus is a huge evaluation period for the Bucks. Um, and I think the big Bob thing might be a sign from Giannis that they're not trading him. Um, I, I think that would be, it's defensible, but it, it's tough. It's a very tough thing and a tough pill to swallow um, because I, I think that a lot of Bucks fans kind of see the horizon of without Bobby Portis, the Bucks would probably be better off. And I, I think that there are days where I, I really believe that and I, I see it on the court. And then there are other days where I, I kind of waver. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a true conundrum at this point because I don't know, if trading Bobby would, you know, really help team chemistry. And right now, I still think the chemistry is fragile as Doc's just starting to take over. Uh, number six, Joe Pronti should get a chance to be with Doc. Um, I, I feel like Joe Pronti, you know, two was two and one uh, in his interim role. Uh, Pronti seems like a great dude. Uh, Giannis even said after, on, I think on Saturday, that he deserves a head coaching uh, opportunity. Uh, and he doesn't understand why he hasn't been a head coach. Um, I think Prunty may, might be a little too high strung for probably ownership to get behind, and that's maybe why. But yeah, I, I think that Prunty, you know, brings a, 
a influence to the to the bench, and I think he's well liked. And I, I hope Doc keeps him as part of part of his bench squad. We'll see if what kind of moves are made because they are bringing in Dave Yeager. Rex Coleman's also coming in. Uh, that was actually news on Friday uh, that we didn't talk about on Friday's show because that happened on Friday. Uh, so, but hopefully Prunty gets a spot because Prunty deserves it. And I, I think it would be a bummer if he didn't get to kind of see this out. And then lastly, I'm not worried about the Cavs in the playoffs. Um, in fact, I will say this. I, I worry more about Indiana than I do Cleveland in the playoffs because Cleveland's just, they're, they're very good defensively, right? And, but when it comes to half-court offense, I don't know if they can replicate that half-court offense and the half-court defense every game in a playoff series. We saw it against the Knicks, right? They didn't make it out of the first round because they couldn't score. And I, I just wonder, is that going to be their issue until, until it isn't? Like, Indiana, the thing with Indiana is they have a better coach in Rick Carlisle. They probably have a more up-tempo, fast team that could wear down the Bucks in a series. And yeah, I, I don't necessarily worry too much. And also, what's weird is Cleveland's been so successful with the group they have. They don't have Evan Mobley. They don't have Darius Garland. So what happens when those guys come back? Are they going to be that much better? Or are they actually going to be worse? And then decision time has to come for Cleveland. I, I don't know. Um, so... Yeah, not exactly, not exactly scared of Cleveland, even though they, you know, put it to the Bucks in a couple games, you know, this last past week, if you will. All right, that does it for today's show. We'll be back tomorrow talking Jokic and Giannis. Uh, Giannis actually going to play uh, in Denver, unlike another MVP. Uh, and we'll talk about that. Um, we'll talk about anything else really uh that comes around uh maybe we have a defensive coordinator for the packers uh, that'd be cool maybe we'll update that do a little defensive coordinator update or just talk about offensive grades but yeah we'll do some packer stuff and yeah we'll see what else uh, comes out of pipeline all right take care guys have a good one see you bye